It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, hold on a second. This is what happens when you depend on technology. So I have a few things to talk about. It's First of all, thank you for being here. If you're new, if this is your first time, second time, if you're still feeling us out, I'm just so thankful that you're here. Thanks for spending time with us on Sunday. And if you're not new, thanks for being here too. Uh, it's better when you're here and it's worse when you're not. Um, you know, when you, go to, when you go to your family reunion, you know, you want to see your family. Maybe you don't, but in, let's just assume you want to see your family. And, and if someone's missing, the family reunion is not complete. And, and my hope is that you would, be, you would consider this family and that, that coming, together, coming together every Sunday would be an opportunity to have a family reunion, to be encouraged, to hear from our daddy, um, God, <laughs> and uh, to, to come around the purpose of, of our family. Um, so, uh, on another note, last week I said something that was wrong, so that's unfortunate. So, I was just going to clarify. I, we talked about salt. If you've never been here, if this is your first time, I make mistakes, so, and I'm leading out with that. Last week, uh, I talked about salt. We talked about the purpose of, our purpose as being salt in, in the world. And one of the things I said verbatim was, salt in the Bible uh, represents wisdom, and I got my points mixed up. Salt in the Bible, if you, if you went back and looked at it, um, it, it actually is pictured as an antiseptic, which we talked about, and as a preservative, which you talked about. However, it is not pictured as wisdom. What I was trying to get at there is that uh, when we talked about salt losing its saltiness, we talked about how uh, losing its saltiness, the word there also means to become foolish. And so we can, we can surmise from that that there's a wisdom that does come in being salty in the world. So the point remains, but I want you to understand uh, that if you went back to the podcast or if you were paying attention and you heard me say that and you looked in your Bible and said, well, that was weird. Pastor Eddie said something and I don't really see that in the Bible. Uh, That's because it wasn't and I apologize. (laughs) If ever I say something that I, and I represent it as being in the Bible and you go back and you find and you say, you know, Pastor Eddie, I studied the Bible. I looked, it wasn't in there. I even looked in the Apocrypha and, you know, a couple books that we don't have in the Bible and I didn't see it. Come to me. Now, no one came to me and that's fine, but come to me because our authority is not in my words. God's authority, are, it, it's, it's God's words that I'm trying to, that we're trying to come together and dine on. So I, I don't have any desire for us to come and hear my, my personal opinions, my thoughts, my ideas, um, my conjectures about what the word says. So again, I apologize, but I hope that you will trust me because I, I'm happy to be corrected by either myself or you, should I say something that is ridiculous. All right. If I have a good idea, I will say, this is a good idea. This is not the word of God. Anyways. So hello, if you're new. Thanks for being here. Um, like, oh boy. Uh, if you will open up your Bibles, we're going to get into the word. Um, we're going to be in Genesis, actually in chapter two, no less. Um, you read the first three and we're going to read some more after there. But uh, before we get started, I wanted just to reflect on cars because cars are super important. I'm thankful for cars. I am not a, I don't like cars, 
Because in my mind, I mean, they, they have a great utility. I'm thankful for the fact that, especially in this area, if you don't have a car, then you're biking a lot. And you're not getting very far. But cars have helped us get from one place to another. And because of that, I, I know a few things about a car. I know how to change a tire. I know how to change a battery, brakes, that sort of thing. But, but be much beyond that, I don't really know how cars work, except that they suck money out of my wallet on a continual basis. They're really good at that. Um, any model will do that. Some models more than others. But cars were created with, uh, all joking aside, a purpose, an intention, right? Cars take you from point A to point B, hopefully faster than walking will take you from point A to point B. They, they're intended to, to take four or five people from point A to point B faster than, uh, you know, taking a walk with a group of people. And in a related way, in a similar way, you and I were designed with a purpose. And, and sometimes we can kind of assume that, but I don't want to assume that. I don't want us to step back and, and today consider what that purpose is. Because if you pay attention to the world, uh, there's a plethora of ideas of, of where we find our purpose. Now, some are, are more traditional, conservative, kind of, well, you know, uh, the impact of the Bible and, and this faith has really kept us thinking that we have a purpose. It's centered in, in humanity and, and what God wants to accomplish. But, but there's a range of views on purpose to the point that people say, well, your purpose is whatever you make it out to be. Um, you know, Nietzsche talked about that. He was a philosopher and, and basically had, he proclaimed that God was dead. And this was the idea that, that you ultimately are the arbiter of your own purpose, and you choose what your purpose is. This whole postmodern uh, idea that came up after, after the Enlightenment, everyone, you know, science came and we had objective reality, this idea that things are true and false. Postmodernism came in and said, you know what, maybe things aren't just true and false. Maybe your perspective determines your reality and my perspective determines my reality. And this idea of purpose shifted. Um, if, if none of those, that's a little bit of like philosophical jargon. So if none of that makes sense, the point is we live in a culture that breathes the air that says purpose is subjective. More, th- th- a lot of things become sub- subjective when purpose and meaning become subjective. Your, your values become subjective. Your morality becomes subjective. And, and really your existence becomes subjective. Now, we have a purpose. We, we self-consciously in this church would say that the highest authority that determines anything is Scripture. We, we go to Scripture because we believe that it's the Word of God, breathed out by God, written down by individuals who are carried by the Spirit of God, and that, that when we want to think about what our life means and what its purpose is, we don't get to choose. So we come to this Word and ask God, what does that mean? What, what is my purpose? Um, and so we're going to talk about purpose. And in the same way that, you know, I can go to my car and I can say, you know, I want to define purpose for my car. I'm going to fill it with bananas. It's not going to run on bananas. It's not even going to run on diesel. It is a gasoline car. And if I put anything else in there, uh, either bad things will happen or no things will happen. And in the same way, when we treat our life as a life separated from the purpose that God has intended it for, bad things happen. Now, if I fill it with gasoline and I, I 
maintain it and I recognize, you know, the, the owner's manual, I read all the things and, and choose the best parts and I, I try my best to abide by the engineering that it was intended for, then good things happen and it can be used for a long period of time. So that's what we want to ask ourselves is what, what has God engineered and made us to be? What is our purpose? So we're in this new series and we're going to be in Genesis. Now, go ahead and stand up. We're going to read these verses together. We're a little, it's a little different than normal. Um, we're going to read verses 25 through 27 of chapter 1. Then we're going to skip ahead to chapter 2. Uh, and I'll explain that in a minute. But chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, and then 15 and 17. But don't worry about it. Just look at the, the words on the, on the screen. These are from the Bible. So <laughs> let's read. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Keep going. Sweet. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see our purpose in creation, to appreciate that purpose and to live in alignment with it. Lord, because of sin, we recognize that our desire is to live our own purpose, to be autonomous, to consider our own selves to be God, maybe not in a grand sense, but in the sense of being able to make our own decisions divorced from what your word says. I pray that we would be tied to your word, that we'd be submitted to your word. God, I pray that we would be able to hear what you say and, and allow it to define us. And I pray that it would be a joyful defining, that it would be something that frees us to live the way we were intended to live. God, would you please move on our hearts to be obedient to your word? Would you move on our hearts to hear what you have to say, not as some outmoded, old school, uh, uh, out of touch book, but, but as the living, breathing word of God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about men and women of the Bible, and we're talking about Adam. Now, Adam, the name was not, was not mentioned, but if you read in Genesis 1 and 2, the word for man is the same word for Adam. Adam is, is really, it's a, um, that's what it sounds like when you say the word for man in Hebrew. So we're talking about this individual 
as representative of humanity. And at, at times it's talking about humanity collectively. But there, there are three things that I want to discuss. And, and really my main point is this, that, that this biblical account of creation of, of Adam and, and we'll see also of Eve, Eve shows us our position in creation. It shows us our provenance or our origin and it shows us our purpose. I want to half apologize for using the word uh, provenance, but origin doesn't start with a P. So we, we come to the word to see our position in creation, our provenance or origin and our purpose. So our position in creation. Now, when we open up this book, we, if you were to read chapter one, you see that God is creating things in kind of in, in broad strokes. He's creating light and he's creating stars and he's creating the sun and the moon and, and animals and plants and all these things. It's, it's kind of happening, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I think of like the Lion King and just like the montage of animals and things and nature and it's awesome. But, but here it slows down. He talks about creating man and woman, and he, he says this, God made the beasts of the earth, right? He says in one sentence, God made the beasts of the earth. There are a few beasts of the earth, right? But he says it very generally, according to their kinds and the livestock, according to their kind and everything that creeps on the ground, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. That's a strange thing for God to say. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. Now, if you're paying attention and you're thinking, you, you might ask yourself, why does he refer to himself as us? And there are various views. The reason, the reason we ask that question is because if you read the rest of the Old Testament, you, you see this uh, prominent view of God is monotheistic. One God, one God. Not three gods, not a pantheon, He's one God. And, and this was one of the things that the, the Jewish people uh, would, would, would say. It was part of the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord is one. And so recognizing that the rest of the theology of the Old Testament says that God is one. And we believe that as Christians. Don't get me wrong. Um, we're going to talk about the Trinity in a moment. But, but we believe that God is one God. Why does God say, let us make man in our, in our own image? Now, there are, there, are, there are various views. If you were to pick up a commentary or look online, you could find a number of different views. But what I want to point out is that God is, even in Genesis, trying to give us a picture of his fullness and, and ultimately of the diversity in the unity of God. Now, if God was just one individual person, then a lot of things would be different about creation. With one individual person, there's no need for communication because you know what you know what you know. You're not, hopefully, unless you're a little bit crazy, talking to yourself, deliberating with yourself to try and figure something out. So that's, that's probably not the issue. He's, probably, he's not deliberating. He's not talking to the angels because he says, let us make man in our image. And then it says in verse 27, so God created man in his image. Not in the image of him and, and the guys, the, the angels that he was with, not the heavenly courts. Uh, some commentaries would say that, but, but that's not the case either. Instead, it's this idea that God is making us uniquely in creation in his image, and his image is one of a plurality in unity. Now, that's it's not very clear language, but that's because the Trinity is not super clear. You know, to say that, I remember having a conversation with one of my kids and saying, you know, there's, it's one God. And he's like, okay, so 
Jesus is God, yes. But God the Father is God, yes. And God the Father is, so God the Father is Jesus? No, no, that's a, that's a heresy. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit, that's, that's God too. So the Holy Spirit, God. The Son, God. The Father, God. But none the, none the twain shall meet. No, they're, not, they're not one person. It's three persons, one God. And if you have a way of explaining that, clearly and concisely, I love you, but it's probably a heresy. <laughs> People have tried for 2,000 years, and you always end up, like there are cliffs on two sides, and you just fall off one or the other. Either you say that something that reduces the personality of the persons, or you do something and you end up getting three gods. It's just, you got three persons, one God, and that's as well as you can put it. To, to the point that there were some really, really smart people who came together, and they wrote a creed a whole creed, and, and they, they tried to hold all of these tensions, and it was like a thousand hands holding a thousand strings and saying, this is the Trinity, don't let go of any of these. <laughs> and, and the moment you're like, oh, it's simple, and you're like, oh no, you've lost one of the parts. So anyways, the point I'm trying to make is that it is not super clear, but there is something about God's creation of humanity that reflects the fullness of God's personhood. And we see that in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In, his, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why does he do that? Why, why doesn't he just leave it at man? I'm thankful that he didn't just leave it as man. You know? He, 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 he's showing in creation a shadow of the reality of God's fullness. Men and women and the complementary way that we, we connect with one another in the context of marriage and, and other relationships, the, the perspectives that we get and see, the, the, the mutual um, uh, benefit that we bring to one another, that that's, gives us a picture of, of God at work in the Trinity. The Father doing things that, that benefit the Son, the Son doing things that benefit the Spirit, the Spirit, all, all of them working together in, in a community. So we see that that our position in creation is to represent something about the nature of God. You represent something about the nature of God. This is one of the reasons why now there's a lot of conversation about, you know, what's right, what's wrong, um, what can we discern about human gender and sexuality. And, and it's, it's tough because people are actually coming broken and, and needing help and wanting to be received and accepted. And there's things where you want to say, yes, let's take everyone in and let's receive everyone. And God does receive everyone in his love, but that doesn't mean that everyone gets to define who we are. Amen. I don't get to define who we are. You don't get to define who we are because God had a unique purpose in the way he ordered and created things. And one of those purposes was to reflect his nature. We were made male and female unique in creation. We're not just like the animals, right? If we go back to verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, livestock according their, to their kind, everything that creeps on the, creeps on the ground, kind of gross. All, most of those things, I don't, you know, why God? You could have just left that category out, on the ground according to its kind. Um, but he says, you know what? We created humanity, and the way he defines it is in terms of maleness and femaleness, not according to kind, but according to gender and sexuality. We're different from the animals. You know, it, the fact that, it, that the, the author slows down the account of creation here shows that we're different than the animals. We're different than the plants. I mean, God, God's 
creation all glorifies him, absolutely, but there's something unique in our purpose to, to glorify God. We're made in God's image and likeness, uniquely hitting, uh, hinting at the, the, the Trinity and uniquely uh, representing something special in creation and ultimately uniquely ruling in God's authority, right? The title here, Adam created as regent of the earth. That's a word we don't tend to use, regent. It means that, that we represent royalty on the earth, that, that when God created us, we see it in verse, in one of the verses, well, I'll skip ahead to 28. We didn't talk about that, but yes, thank you. It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the everything, living thing that moves on the earth, right? God intends to rule the world, rule the earth by means of his people. In Genesis, when, when before creation, God had intended for there to be an order and for that order to be us representing his authority in the world. The fact that we represent his authority, the fact that we represent his likeness, the fact that we represent his image, his personality, his, his personhood, these are the reasons why, why there are so many rules in the Ten Commandments that relate to how we relate to one another. We can't kill one another because we're killing something that represents the image of God in the world. We can't take advantage of someone else because we're, we're taking advantage of someone who represents the image of God in the world. We have to honor our, our parents' children because they represent the authority of God in the father-son relationship. We, we represent something about the, the ruling power of God in the world. This is our position in creation. This is what we are intended to be. You and I are not just accidents. We're not just chance happenstance. God has a purpose for you, and it's a noble, royal purpose. Now, creation does weird things to that, and, and it changes the way that we relate to the world. But, but when Jesus comes on earth, what does he do? He comes to establish what? A kingdom. To reestablish what was already established in creation. To reunify what God had established as the order of the day in creation. You and I were made to be kings and queens. We have a unique position in creation because we have a unique provenance, origin. It says in verses two and se- two, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, that the Lord formed the man from dust from the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. We are from the dust. Now that's not saying that we're dirty, terrible, bad people. That's, that's not the point. The point is that we are part of creation. You know, if you've ever been in any one of my classes, I, I make these uh, analogies between the worldview, the prevailing worldview of the world and, and God's worldview. And it's the worldview of the world is one circle. And basically everything exists in that circle, right? If it's a Venn diagram, it's one circle. Everything is in there and everything is, is equal, equally no, no value or all value, equally God or no God. It's, it's whatever you discern it to be. That's the prevailing worldview. God's worldview, the biblical worldview, is two circles. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a, an artist. Uh, it's two circles. You have the circle that represents God, and then you have the circle that represents everything else. Now, our sin nature would like to say, yeah, I'm, I'm in the God circle. But no, God is in the God circle. That's why we call it the God circle. And, and everything else is in this circle, and I find myself in here. 
right? We are from the dust. We are part of creation. We are not creator. You know, because of sin, sin is really a, a manifestation of this idea, I am my own boss. I am not accountable or responsible to anyone. I am autonomous. I am independent. I can do what I want. The problem with that is it's not true. We are not gods. We would make terrible gods. I can't even stay up past, you know, 11 o'clock and think straight. Right? You don't want me running your life because I would forget stuff and you just would stop existing. I'm like, oh, no. I forgot about her and now she's gone. <laughs> but sin is irrational and it, and it says, you know what? I can do what I want. I am, I'm good enough to be God. I can run my own life. But no, he, we are dust. And it's interesting that when, we, when, when Adam sins, one of the consequences is that we return, what? To dust. That's why, you know, ever, if you've ever heard at a funeral, from dust to dust. It's this idea that, that we come from the ground and we go back to the ground. Now, it's not to say that, that there isn't value God bestows value on us. God, God establishes value in who we are. But, but we don't define that value, and we can't do it independent of God. Amen. We are creatures, but we're more than creatures. We have the breath of life in our lungs, the breath of God in our lungs. It says in verse 7, He formed the man of dust and from the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life. Now, this breath of life is, it's, the word there for breath is, it's not the same word that you'd get from spirit or, you know, wind, one of the more common Old Testament words that represents a lot of different things. This word for breath of life is used of, of humans and of God. It's not used of animals, right? There's, there's a distinction that the author of, of Genesis is trying to get at, that, that this is a unique breath that sets humans apart from, from all other creation. It's this breath of life that makes us alive, you and I have the benefit of being alive in, the, in a different dimension than your cat or your dog. As, as loyal or disloyal, flip it around, disloyal cat, loyal dog as, as they are. As, as loving and wonderful as your pet turtle is or, you know, the, the most intelligent um, orangutan that you've ever seen at the D.C. Zoo they, they're categorically different because the Bible tells us, God tells us that, that he gave the breath of life to, to man, to Adam, to us. And again, this is another reason why there's value in humanity. You know, this is one of the reasons why it's such a bad thing, why, why Jesus comes and says, you know what, if you hate your brother, it's basically killing, and you can't do that. Because there's value in the people around you. Even your enemy. That's what he says, love your enemy. He's not just trying to be some sort of like flower-wielding hippie. Right? He's, he's trying to get at a deeper reality that, that we are all made in the image of God and that we have to approach one another differently because of that. If you don't like your, your co-worker and, and you, you have legitimate struggles because they do legitimate things wrong, at least Tap into the fact that they are made in the image of God. And let that fact temper how you relate to them. <laughs> Does the fact that you're, 
your life is filled with the breath of God, does that affect how you handle your family? When you want to... <laughs> there are children in the audience. We, we have the breath of life. We're, we're from the dust, but we have the breath of life, and we're, we're intended to live God's life. And we're intended to live for a real and deep abiding purpose. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord made, commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you will surely die. You know, I was talking about cars a moment ago, and, and the reality is cars are intended to drive. They're, they're intended to be driven, however you want to put it. Self-driving, auto, you know, automated cars are coming, and they will be intended to drive. <laughs> and, and if you try to, to use a car as a hammer, you're going to have a mess. If you try to use a car as a blender, your guacamole is going to be terrible. If you try to use a car as a house, it will be cold and you'll have back problems. If you try to use your car as a relationship with a friend. You are a very lonely person. Talk to someone after service. It, I, I'm, I'm being silly, but... The, it, and the, the ridiculousness of it is, be, is ridiculous because we, we so clearly understand the purpose. We're like, that's... What you're saying is makes no sense. It's stupid because cars are intended to do this. But when we look at our lives, we can be doing really stupid things because we don't realize, myself included, I know I've done so many stupid things. Just ask my wife. <laughs> I was, anyways, yes. Um, we've all been there. We, we've all been, anyways. Um, purpose, yes. So we have a purpose, and when you don't live in that purpose, things get awkward. And he says, we do have a purpose First of all, we, we, we're here to submit to God's placement. You know, Adam was taken to Eden. Now, gr granted, Eden was a pretty nice place. It was a, a decent neighborhood, you know. I don't know that there was much in Adam that would say, you know what, is there anything better? I mean, I, I, I know that you have all these trees, but are there any other trees with other fruits? Because these are cool and all, but I'm really hungry for X, or I really want this. So he, he was fine with his placement, at least initially, but, but where do you find yourself in your placement? Perhaps you're in a, a situation, either it's, it's a home situation or a work situation or a family situation. And you, if I could just have come from a different family, my life would be better. If I could just have a different job than what I have, my life would be better. And I'm not saying that we can't pursue other jobs, that we can't go other directions or move to other places. But the point is that there's a contentment that comes when we recognize that part of our purpose is to recognize what God's doing in the moment in where we are. Rather than trying to run to something else. We're intended to submit to God's placement. We're intended to cultivate the garden that we find ourselves in. It says in verse 16 of chapter 2, the Lord commanded him, you, oh no, sorry, let's go, skip back. It says that uh, verse 6 and 7, or 7 and 8. Planted, the Lord planted a garden in Eden. Uh, where is it, guys? Okay, verse 15. 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Parents, this is the verse that you take to your teenager and say, see, work is a good thing. (laughs) Work existed before the fall. It's not a result of the fall. Now you got to work. No, it was intended to be, you know, we, we were given hands and feet to do stuff. We were intended to create and, and build and make and cultivate. But what's even cooler about this is that these verbs, to work it and keep it, they have this, this kind of priestly nuance. That there was something about the service, right? The, the word to work, it, it means to serve. And, and it, there's, a, there's a priestly nuance that the, the priests would work and they would serve. And, and there was a, a service, not just kind of into the ether, but, but towards God. And what does is, what is Paul tell us? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You know, in, in Genesis, Adam was very much so working in his purpose, not just to do things and build things and make things and cultivate things, but to do and make and build and cultivate to the glory of God. You were made to make God look amazing, to, to reveal how amazing God is, to uncover what, what, is, what is covered up. Not only that, we're intended to guard the garden. That word to keep it means kind of to guard, to protect it, to protect the, the integrity of it. You know, God has a purpose in creation. He has a purpose in the lives of those around you. And, and part of it is that you, you should be calling people to, to their purpose. You know, I understand that you're, you're struggling with purpose and I understand that you're upset and sad. Can I tell you that God has a purpose for your life? That he, he's created you for a great and amazing purpose. And, and even in this, this area that you're focused in, this task, in this employment, in this career, you can still glorify God in that. You, you're not purposeless. You're not meaningless. You have a purpose. And God wants to accomplish things in your life that he can only accomplish in your life through you. Or that he chooses only to accomplish in your life and through you. Or to guard the garden or to protect the, cur- the purpose of creation, God's glory. Everything that you and I do is intended to protect God's glory. When you're driving to work, do you ever, con- I, this is me too, <laughs> do you ever consider the glory of God? I talk about driving a lot, because this is Northern Virginia and it's a challenge. <laughs> you're trying to drop your kids off at, at, the, at school and like people are, They've lost their minds. They have lost. Like, I see you at church. You are sinning right now. All the while, God's like, so are you. In that moment, you have the opportunity to bring glory to God. And we diminish it and say, well, it's just driving. It's just my attitude at work. It's just, you know, how I talk to my kids. It's just whether or not I, you know, get up on time and do the things I need to do. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just every moment you're choosing to glorify God or you're not. We're called to guard the garden. And we're called to rule the earth. Now, this rulership, this is not, God doesn't hand out, um, Scepters, thank you. Although that'd be cool. If it's like you get saved and poof, there's a scepter. That'd be awesome. I want a big, you know, onyx black. I don't know. We went somewhere just now. I'll, I'll close that door back up. Okay. 
Um, he doesn't do that. No one has, if you have a scepter, put it away. That's weird. Um, he wants us to rule the earth. And, and if you're to contextualize what that means, look at how Christ lived. Christ lived to usher in the kingdom of God. Now, there's going to be a moment where he comes on a horse with a robe dipped in blood, carrying a sword out of his mouth, and it's real. It's not, you know, baby Jesus, and it's not Jesus meek and mild carrying a lamb on his... No, this is serious wartime Jesus. But now, in this time in between the first and second coming of Christ, we are to live like Christ lived, as servants, as people who love our enemy as people who sacrifice, who live boldly, but sacrificially. That is how we rule on the earth. We're, in, we're intended to rule. When you think about your rulership on the earth, and, and the question is not whether or not you're, you're doing your job. It's whether or not you're doing your job well. You represent something to the world. Your life represents something, whether you want it to or not. If you call, especially if you call yourself a Christian and, and you go to the restaurant today and you don't tip your waiter or you're super stingy or you're mean, like you're representing something. You don't get to take off your hat and be like, well, I'm not at church, so 10%. Right? We, we represent God's authority in the world and we either do it well or we do it terribly. If you've been doing it terribly, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Just, just stop it. And if you're doing it well, praise God. But we're intended to rule the earth by representing God. And finally, we want to obey. Right? He says, Jesus, God says, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on this day that you eat it, you shall surely die. God gives him a command, an explicit command. He had already given him the command to work the, the garden, but here's an explicit command that he gives and says, this is the line. You, you can't go beyond this line. I am God. You are a servant. You need to exercise lordship, live in light of the fact that you are not God and I am God. And he says that and Adam's purpose was to obey. Sometimes we feel like our purpose is to disobey. Like my life's purpose is to do what I want. And, and much of the world suggests that, that you need to just figure out what your greatest purpose is and, and just live into that. Don't worry about what these people tell you. Whatever it is, if, it's, if it makes you happy, then do it. Sometimes living your purpose is is doing stuff you don't like, yeah. right? Husbands, you have to work. If you don't like your job, I don't know, hum yourself a song. <laughs> we all do things we don't like, myself included. I remember my first job, I talked about it, but uh, it was this, we're almost done. Um, I, I was, <laughs> we're all over the place. Uh, it, it, it was at this church and I wasn't doing anything churchy. I, we were ripping up um, carpet that had been laid down, I think with cement, I'm not sure, but the, 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 the glue was really strong. And then they were like, okay, here's this dull uh, hoe, just, go, you know, just scrape it up. And it, it, was like, it was like a thick piece of metal. It, there was no edge to it, and I'm just, and that was my job. And, and it built character, right? <laughs> also, it just was like, well, that's the lowest, and so anything is positive from there. Whatever, I'm not doing that. So in the middle of the summer in a closed out room in North Carolina, I'm not, I'm not doing that ever again. No, but, but purpose, what am I talking about even? We're to obey. 
And sometimes living and obeying God and living in light of what he has to say means that we do things we don't want to do because we ultimately want to do what we were made to do. Your purpose has a lot less to do with the specifics of your career and a lot more to do with your disposition toward God in doing whatever you do. Some of us are going to swing hammers to the glory of God. Some of us are going to, to write code to the glory of God. Some of us are going to um, be moms and dads and, and, and care for little babies and clean up poop and, to the glory of God. Some of us are going to be all kinds of different things, but the point is that we are doing it to the glory of God. That is our purpose. So as we close up, my, my question, as we think about who we are in our most basest of senses, what informs who you are? I'll repeat the question. What in the, in the world, out of the world, what informs who you are? Do you inform who you are? Does prevailing philosophical thought that says there is no God inform who you are? If, if the Bible is true, which I believe it is, if the Bible is true, then you need to listen to what it has to say about who you are. You know, I can go out to my car today and I can try and fly it like a plane, but it's not a plane. And if God's word is true and you try to live life like it's not, it's not going to work. You and I were made for a purpose. We have an origin. We have an amazing position in creation. Even the lowest of low human doing the the dirtiest of deeds, the dirtiest of jobs, in the darkest, stinkiest of places, is doing stuff that glorifies God in a way that nothing else in creation can. I mean, that's crazy. My encouragement to you is that you have an opportunity. Your life has an opportunity to glorify God. 